0: I'm Pastor Jeff, and I want to welcome you to worship here with St. John's United Methodist Church. As we progress through the season of Lent, we continue with our, our Not a Fan series, inviting you deeper in your commitment to Christ and uh, deeper in your relationship with God. And uh, today we will explore another aspect of, of what it means to be a
1: follower of Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, we praise you for the spring, and we are thankful for the sunshine toward us. As we go through this season of Lent, let us deepen our faith and grow to be like you, Jesus. Fill our hearts with your love and uh, help us share your love with our neighbors. Lord, once again, this uh, society is shaken by gun violence and hate crimes toward Asian Americans. Merciful God, forgive us. We have failed to love our neighbors and we have been quick to hate each other. Gracious God, help us remember that we will harvest hatred if we are planting hatred toward others. Lord, we pray that you would embrace those victims and their loved ones with our love and grace. Lord, guide us in our daily lives. There are so many challenges coming toward us. Sometimes we are lost in the middle of the storm. Lord, shine your light toward us. We need your guidance in every step of our our lives. Lord, our hearts and ears are open toward you. Lord, speak to us and fill our hearts with your words. Gracious God, we humbly come before you. Show us your love and grace. Heavenly Father, now we come to you with the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
2: Today's scripture lesson comes from the book of John, the eighth chapter reading from the second verse. At dawn, he appeared again to the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made him stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away, one at a time, the oldest first, until only Jesus was left with the woman who was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her woman Where are they has no one condemned you No one sir she said then neither do I condemn you Jesus declared Go now and lead and leave your life of sin This is the word of God for the people of God Thanks be to God
0: So so far in this series of Lent uh, we've been exploring what, what's the difference between a fan and and a follower of Jesus. What's the difference between somebody who is an admirer, who, who kind of, you know, likes the example of another, and someone who's a committed follower? And I think there, there's a danger in, in, as a pastor, I'm pushing us to, to raise our commitment. There's a danger that we, we hear, oh, Pastor Jeff just wants us to follow more rules or, or somehow keep the rules and so I want us to be careful that, that following Jesus is not the same as following a set of rules. It's not that there's a Christian code, a code of conduct, or a standard of behavior that, that will somehow appease God. The worst thing that, that you could hear me say is, follow Jesus or else. You know, follow Jesus, and then in our minds we kind of say, or else. You know, I don't think that fairly represents who, who God is. And yet, sometimes we can misread the invitation of the Bible. Jesus doesn't call us into a relationship based on fear. He doesn't necessarily want us to exist with that insecurity of, I'm not quite sure if I'm in or out. Jesus doesn't want us to be left wondering, can I ever be good enough? Can I really keep the rules or will I please God? And so I want to be clear that the Bible says that we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace, and grace is a gift. We're saved by grace, not by our own works. What what we do matters, but, but the good things we do doesn't save us. You know, there, there's grace that comes maybe before we even trust in Christ, that prepares us to trust in Christ. There's, there's grace maybe that pours into our hearts as we yield to God. And then there's grace that helps us to grow up in the faith and do what God wants us to do. But there is a lie that comes from the devil that says, yes, you're you're saved by grace, but your good works will keep you saved. And and sometimes that's a subtle little thing that, that gets in the mix. And that's not necessarily what Jesus offers to us. And if we reduce following Christ to following rules. It damages our relationship with God, damages our relationships in several ways. But sometimes we have a hard time accepting grace. We have a hard time understanding grace, and we we tend to fall back to, I have to do something. I mean, we we are very independent. We tend to want to do it for ourselves, and so grace doesn't fit easily with you know, kind of giving up and, and saying, God, I'm going to let you have first place in my life. God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to obey you. We, we don't always figure out what to do with grace. And, and so, when we don't understand grace, we often opt for rules because it's clear and it's familiar. Even on our best days, sometimes we settle for, I, I'm not sure about grace. I'm not sure I deserve grace but I, I know what the rules are, so I'm going to try to make God happy that way. And so, John chapter 8 plays this drama out for us, what happens when, when faith is no more than just the rules. To set the stage, uh, Jesus has been meeting with the people in the community as He goes from community to community. There's often a, a crowd that gathers, and, and it has become a large crowd and he's in the temple and he's interrupted on this particular day by a group of pharisees and pharisees were were known for we're committed to the rules we're keepers of the rules and we want you to keep the rules too and, and that's kind of their reputation and and in their own thinking i think they're thinking we're doing a pretty good job but but that was their full-time job that was all they did they they didn't have to work for a living. They, they didn't have to, to do a lot of other things. And yet, uh, we'll see, even with that dedication on their part, they, they to be honest, they, they, when they finally look at themselves, they, they realize we weren't doing it perfectly. So, let's see what happens on a couple different levels when following God is replaced by following a set of standards. And the first damage, I think, occurs that that when our faith is no more than rules, it really interrupts our relationship with God. In the early morning, Jesus is at the temple. The crowd is gathered, and he's teaching. And as he's speaking, a group of religious leaders comes, and they, they drag a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, and they place her in front of the crowd before Jesus. And they have a test. It's a trap, and they're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trip him up and they're trying to catch him. It's really not about the woman at all. But they pose this question. She's been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, stone her. What do you say? And then they just kind of step back, and and there's that really big moment. What a scene. And the woman who's been caught is shamed. It's public, There's a trap, and and she's just the bait. They really don't care about her. If Jesus says, throw a bunch of rocks, the trap is that um, he's been welcoming every other sinner, and if on this day he kind of reverses course, the crowd might say, well, maybe this isn't who we thought he was. It's kind of like if he goes the other way, as a rabbi, he would be saying the law isn't such a big deal. That wouldn't go over so well either. So, is Jesus caught? And can you imagine being that woman? Uh, kind of embarrassing, totally embarrassing. But as we step back a little bit, there's, there's some unasked questions, and there's some unanswered questions like, how did they catch her? You know, doesn't it take two to tangle? Where, where's the guy? Where, where's her partner? Why isn't he here? I mean, those are questions that, that just kind of get left behind. Some historians believe that, that it was one of the group of leaders that uh, baited the trap and drew her in, and, and they left him conveniently back in, in the room and drug her out before everyone. It doesn't take but a moment for Jesus to turn the tables, to take advantage of the moment, to expose what's really happening before the the group gathered, before the crowd. The woman's sin is obvious, exposed for all to see. But the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of that community, their sins are a little harder to to notice because they're hidden. And, And they're the keepers of the rules. Their sins are a little harder to admit, but they're still there. They've taken all that God had given to Moses, and they've made it into just a list, if you will. God gave Moses the law, and in Galatians, Paul said the law came as a tutor. And what's a tutor? A tutor is someone who assists maybe one-on-one. You get some time outside of class to ask questions and to maybe hear things a little more tailored to what you need, and so a tutor is designed to come alongside and and point you in a certain direction to teach you. And so, the law of Moses was meant to be a tutor preparing God's people for the fulfillment of the promise, someday there will be a Messiah. The law was meant to point them and prepare them for Jesus, the coming of Jesus. Jesus is there, and yet Jesus himself said, "I, I haven't come to do away with all of that. I've come to fulfill it. So there's something more that God wanted them to see than, than just, here's a list, and we're going to follow it, and, and somehow we make God happy and all of that. The Pharisees had, had kind of filled in the blanks, if you will, and, and, and had no less than 614 laws that go with the 10 laws designed to help everybody understand a little better And it had become this overwhelming burden of how can we possibly satisfy all of this? And in that day, it was pretty much understood you keep it all or you're out. Well, the Pharisees got their salvation the old fashioned way, they were earning it. And that's what they believed. I don't know that they ever felt any sense of assurance we got it, but they were trying. They were trying. In their own way though they had corrupted the character of god this picture of god as as kind of the lawgiver and and the hard to please god that was the picture that they portrayed so i just pause today and say what what is your picture of god like often we we kind of project our experiences of parents if they're hard to please if they're hard to satisfy that becomes kind of the way we relate to god And sometimes, uh, just the way you see a pastor or a teacher in Sunday school becomes a little bit of the personality of God as well. But is that your idea of God? Is is God just the rule giver? We have to keep the list. Are we following a list of rules? The damage isn't quite done. You know, this style has has kind of interrupted their, their fellowship with God, but it also corrupts their relationship with themselves. And how they see themselves. Uh, these guys are pointing all their fingers at the woman uh, exposed before the crowd. And, and I remember in school when anybody in class would would do this with the one finger. It's you know it's their fault. Somebody would chime in. You know, there's three fingers pointing back at you. And, and that's happening to the Pharisees. But nobody notices the fingers pointing back to the Pharisees, except for Jesus. They are there in the presence of Jesus, God's Son, the one person in the crowd who is without sin, the one person that day who could say, I stand here righteous and pure before God, the one person who could judge, and yet He doesn't. So, Jesus kind of avoids the moment and flips the the dynamic a little bit. And, and creates a little more drama, and he kneels down and he starts to write in the dust. And I think the Gospels, there's always this echo of, of where else do you have the finger of God doing something in the Old Testament? I mean, that's a fair thing to explore outside of what I want to do today, but uh, the Gospel writer, I think, the finger of God. There's a few Old Testament passages where the finger of God does something, In this moment, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against Him, and yet as He stoops down and writes in the dust, there is those voices demanding an answer, those voices accusing the woman. It all continues until Jesus uh, stands up and He says, all right, let the one who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. Let him throw away. And then Jesus goes back down riding in the dust. So, there's one other question that, that no one can answer that I'd like to ask is, what was he saying? What, what words might have been appearing in the dust? Did one of the Pharisees have a mistress? It was her name there for everyone to see. That would get their attention. And then when he says, um, okay, I'll let you throw your rocks but let's start with the one who has never stumbled. Let's start with the person who who has no sin. Let's start with the one who who can say, I've not fallen short. And then in that moment, Jesus kind of brings all of them down to the level of the woman. He's saying, "The, the field is level here. We've all fallen short, haven't we? And there was silence, and there was some thinking and the Scriptures say the, the stones began to drop and people began to walk away, the Pharisees older, maybe a little more able to look in the mirror and say, I guess I'm, I'm not perfect and their stone would fall and they'd leave all the way down to the youngest in that group and when they finally walked away, there was a, a release in the tension in the air Jesus levels the playing field by saying, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All means, it doesn't matter whether you're a bishop or a boozer. It doesn't matter who you are. None can claim God's favor because of their own good works. All stand in the need of God's grace. Whether we understand grace or not, we all need it, and it's a gift. It's not something that we can earn. By saying that we're saved by faith based on grace, the grace is something that comes to us because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do. Grace is a gift, and Jesus is trying to offer that gift. Even the Pharisees, these professional rule keepers need grace, and maybe they felt it in that moment. So, when we we have things kind of out of place, it it ruins our relationship with God, it affects our relationship with ourselves, and it also tarnishes our relationship with others. So, the woman is standing there, exposed. Those who brought her have dehumanized her and and made her just a pawn in their, their game, a bait for the trap, and yet Jesus is seeing her as a child of God someone in need of God's love and forgiveness. And finally, Jesus stands up and addresses the woman and says, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. And then he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So, there's an important message for all of us here. Grace is needed by all. Grace is available to all. But Jesus doesn't say, you know, your sin doesn't really matter, that rule, you know, adultery, it's not that important anymore. He doesn't say that. He, he acknowledges you've broken that law, you've fallen, but God's grace is for you. Forgiveness is for you. And, and he lifts her up. There's no way that she can earn God's favor. Jesus takes her where she is. I think what a sweet sound to her those stones falling in the dust instead of slamming into her body. And the crowd just mesmerized this whole time, wondering, what's Jesus going to do today? Jesus does not disappoint. The woman couldn't help herself, but Jesus responded to her need and restores her. He redeems her. You know, following the rules is, is a good thing if it starts with love. It's a good thing if it follows I've received God's grace, and and this is the pattern that God wants me to live my life by. The Old Testament boundaries were there to teach us what does it mean to be faithful to God. The law was a tutor, preparing us for God's gift of Jesus, and the religious leaders had settled for I, I guess all we're going to get is the list of rules, and they they didn't recognize Jesus as God's son. And they'd become rule defenders instead of uh, really opening their hearts to God and worshiping God. And they missed what God was doing in that moment. But beyond the rules, God offers to us a relationship of faith. A relationship of faith. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you, You invite us to go deeper with Christ. And sometimes we, we don't quite understand what that might mean, or we have just those, those objections within, and, and I think there's still a little bit of, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to, to get everything sorted out on my own, and, and yet we make grace more complicated than it needs to be. It's a gift that, that Jesus gives us to open and to try it on, and then to live into it. And I pray that uh, we don't just settle for being almost there, that we don't just settle for for going through the motions of faith, but that we can embrace all that that Jesus came to do and all that Jesus offers to us, that uh, as we move towards the celebration of Easter, as we go through that valley, the valley of the cross and the valley of suffering, and, and we remember the story of Christ, that we connect with that in our own story, and we allow God to, to wash away the, the stains of this life, to wash away the, the pain of this life, and to be redeemed on the journey to the cross. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in us and around us. Thank you for what you're doing in this uh, congregation as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God has given us a, a beautiful picture of redemption in creation. I have um, a pearl necklace, it's not mine, um, but it's loaned to me just for a little bit this morning. But you, you maybe are familiar with how pearls are made. It starts with a little irritation. And, and maybe you have some of those in your life. And, and if we are real, maybe we say, I am one. We have those moments, right? So so God is in the business of redeeming even those moments, even those of us who are irritators. Every time the oyster gets a, an irritation, there is a secretion that goes out, and, and let's say that's God's grace for us. It's a little something shiny for the oyster. And over time it grows and it redeems the grain of sand and it becomes something beautiful that even in our journey of faith, that's a picture of God's grace. And, and when you stumble and when you have a moment, think, okay, God, you're redeeming even me, and I accept your grace. Go with the grace of God guiding you this week. <laughs>